Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. We've got a good one for you today. Uh, and I will preface this by saying this episode applies more to men than it does to women. We're talking about midlife. Yes, the crisis, the opportunity, the tempest, whatever you call this. And I think a lot of you men who I get the opportunity to coach are right on this cusp. You are experiencing this. I would say I'm in the midst of this and have experienced the joys and the challenges of this. David Brooks calls it your second half of life, your second mountain. That kind of language uh, around second mountain has been incredibly helpful to me. And today we're talking with Chris Bruno, who is a man that leads other men, especially in terms of counseling, rites of passage for their sons and their daughters, and in this book about sages and what this next half of life looks like, the role of a sage, and why that's so important to men, especially younger than us. I have benefited from sages in my own life. I was thinking about four or five names that came to my mind during this interview. And so men, I think you should listen intently about something maybe happening in your soul right now. Women, I believe the journey can be similar, but Chris talks about how it's a little bit different. But I would encourage you to listen intently because I believe there are a lot of parallels there, or there's a man in your life you'll be able to understand even more. Hope you enjoy, but beyond that are challenged by this episode of Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. We're going to continue to talk about crucial topics, and today is one of them. Sage, a man in his second half of life, what has to be true for this to be a midlife opportunity, not just a midlife crisis. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks so much, Alan. Great to be here. Man, huge congrats on your book launch, Sage. We're going to dive into that today. And before we dive into the content, how was the process of writing this for you? Oh, man, it was it was both awesome and terrible at the same time. I uh, All right, I got to hear. I got to hear more. Share both <laughs> the awesome and the terrible. So the awesome part was that both, uh, so my, my wife, my team, and my board said, "Hey, Chris, in order to really focus on this, you need to you need to get out. You need to go somewhere and just we call it monk mode. Just like focus in on on really get the writing done. So uh, through a series of things, which I'm not going to go into all the details here, it just would take too long. Um, I ended up in on the western coast of Ireland for a month in January, which is just a violent place to be in the world with the wild Atlantic way and." It's so far out there. You feel like you're literally on the edge of, of the world. So you're telling me you got banished in order to write this beautiful book. It's kind of felt like that. It kind of felt a little bit like that. Um, and just the, the, uh, the space, the geography, the topography, the isolation out there. I mean, I was in a village, little Airbnb village. You know, the Airbnb was in a small village of about 100 people or so. And so it was like way, way out in the middle of nowhere. It was the perfect place for me to to do what I needed, and the the violence of this weather and the storms and the rain and the wind and the cliffs and the way just all of that really matches somewhat of what I was writing about. So uh, it was this awesome and uh, incredible opportunity, and also terrible in that it was like 
on the edge of the world and I had nobody to talk to. And uh, <laughs> there were days and days that I could go without even seeing anybody. So it was, it was great in, in, in all the ways. Well, let's dive in. We're talking yep. about midlife, uh, the joys. Some have called it midlife crisis. Some have called it midlife opportunity, the second half of life, all those things. You say yep. every man reckons with midlife. Describe these conditions that make midlife so volatile and so full of challenge or opportunity. Yeah. Well, I, I, I say every man must reckon with midlife, not that everyone does. And okay. so I feel like I want to start there in just that we come to the part of our lives, and I want to say midlife being somewhere maybe after the 35-year mark, not even after the 40-year mark. 40 is kind of like when people think midlife happens, but it can even start in your 30s. And then even some people don't don't address it or don't reckon with it up until their 50s or 60s. So there's this middle season of our lives that, that I feel like we have to... Uh, recognize all of the survival skills that we have had, all of the the scripts that we have been living so far in our lives, uh, we come to a point where either they are insufficient or they fail. And And dive uh, in on that. What do you mean by script? Well, the stories that we tell ourselves, the places that we are, are believing that we need, the roles that we believe that we need to play are, uh, you know, these, like a script, just like a playwright would write a script for a screen. And, uh, and we follow the script until it's like, oh, this is actually not leading the direction I was hoping it was going to go. It's actually not sufficient for the life that I want to lead. It's actually not the, the person, the man, the woman that I am. This is not the script. But I've invested my life and my energy and my my uh, career and my relationships in this script. And I come to the place where it's a little too thin or too shallow for what I actually want to be or was created to be. That I think is the moment where we go, oh, okay, now what? Now I'm at this, I have enough uh, experience. I have enough exposure. I have enough awareness and even resources, maybe education, you know, all those things. I have enough now to look back and go, okay, that I, I actually need to do something different. That I think is where we hit the midlife. It becomes a crisis when all that we're doing is jumping from script to script to script. Now, uh, you know, my marriage is not the marriage that I had wanted it to be. So I'm going to find another marriage. My career is not the, it's not feeding the parts of my soul that I'd hoped it would. I'm going to find another career. Uh, my car, I'm looking at my car to, you know, give me some level of identity. Uh, it's those things that just were never meant to give us a sense of ourselves that we've been looking to hmm. that fail us. And now we actually have to reckon okay. with the reality that I have to answer my own questions. These other things outside of me can no longer uh, sustain me. So other than maybe not reckoning with it and running from it, like you're describing or investing identity into things that, that were never meant to um, pull us out of that or to the next thing. What are a couple other common mistakes that men make around midlife? Oh, uh, well, I, I think going into just silence, settling that I guess this is the best it's going to get, or I have no hope that it's going to get any better. So that's, that would be one. 
Uh, I think another one would be like grenading your life, like throwing a grenade and just saying, hey, you know, screw everything, I'm out. Uh, and whether that's on the extreme, I'm out of, you know, thinking about ending your life or just throwing the grenade on on the things that are good and you're, and you're just like, I'm out, I'm going to leave, I'm going to find a new, totally new situation. I think those would be the two things that that I see a lot of men who don't reckon with it in the extremes, that's, that's where guys go. Mm-hmm. And then in this, in the not quite so extremes, just this like slow erosion of the soul that is like, okay, I guess I'm just going to slog it out in this relationship, or I'm going to slog it out in this, in this job uh, or in this path until something better comes along. And I agree with your pre 40 for some, you hear that number 40. I didn't see it coming. And um, older men helped me unpack maybe there's a bigger shift happening here than just a career shift vocational shift kids getting older marriage hitting a different stage and that was incredibly helpful to me Uh, my kids are older in life stage uh, and realized that we had adopted and um, you know sped eight years ahead in life stage and so for several reasons Chris I didn't see it coming and they needed men that already were living well in the sage phase to sort of hold a mirror back up and, and help me make sense of of some of that season, it was incredibly disorienting. Um, and I think reckoning or certainly wrestling was, was all that I knew how to do. And, and older men helped, helped me to do that. Any thoughts on that? Well, I think I, I talk about this in the book that, uh, behind every hero is another hero. And it sounds like those heroes for you to help you be the hero of your story. You needed someone to kind of champion you and stand yeah. with you. And, and that hero behind the hero is a sage. That is what becoming a sage is. That's what I talk about in the book. And that is that you, every one of, every one of us gets older, but not every one of us becomes an elder. And there is something important about actually stepping intentionally into becoming that elder so that you can be that, that hero behind other people when they need it as well. Um, I had people like that in my life that, have stood with me and have challenged me and asked me good questions. And it wasn't, they didn't make it about them. They made it about, you know, their presence opening up the possibility for me to be more me. And that's what a sage does. And it sounds like that happened in your life. So beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I want to get back to this, that sage word, but you say this, it's cyclical. It's not linear. Uh, That when we enter this afternoon of the life that of, of life that you speak of, we're actually at a beginning. What the heck do you mean by this? <laughs> I think when we step intentionally into this, uh, you know, or crossing this threshold into becoming this elder or the sage, we are actually confronted with those parts of our lives, those parts of our hearts that we have either exiled or sequestered or cut off that still feel really young, really vulnerable, uh, really lost that that the fullness of who we are. I, I think we are designed to be fully integrated, and so to come back to the beginning is actually to go back to those parts of my life, and as a man, back to my boyhood of those those younger boys that still live inside of me, if I can put it that way, that I have uh, hated, that I have dismissed, that I have forgotten, 
that I have, uh, you know, whatever it is that I've done with them to reintegrate, reacquaint myself with them and bring them back. And, and I talk about this in the sense of like the, the, the task of a sage is to find the boy within the man and bring him home. The boy within the man, what is still within me that, uh, that is lost or, or exiled, as I said, that needs to be brought back, integrated into myself. That is when, when a man steps into that space, as a sage, there's a settledness to him. There is a contentedness to him. He moves from a place of loneliness into a place of solitude. Those are two very different things. He moves into a place of having more generosity of his own presence because he's not trying so hard to kind of manage his internal world because there's a settledness inside. Mm. That's what I mean about coming back to the beginning. Mm. Uh, tell us, uh, or maybe walk us through your rebirth, walk us through your entrance into this afternoon of life. What was that like? Oh man. Well, I, I'm going to preface it with, I'm still in it. So I'm still in the process. I turn 50 next year and uh, it's been a 10 year journey for me to really be wrestling with some of these ideas, but I, I recognize like I'm right at the front end of this journey. It's not a before and an after it's an as as time passes. Um, so for me, it was, it began with some friends, uh, where we decided we were going to do something for one of not me, but one of my friends, it was his 40th birthday. And we kind of were sitting around a campfire and dreamt up this big trip that we were going to take to Scotland. And, and we ended up doing that and we called it our second half trip. And during that time we were talking about like, what is it like for us to step intentionally into this next season of our lives. And, and for me, it was a lot of wrestling around where had I been, what had been my purpose? What, what was my family like? What was my business like? What were the things that I was, I was doing and were those, how much was I relying on those things to give me a sense of my identity and myself when in fact, my identity and self needs to come from within, not from without. And so that wrestling happened all throughout my forties and it still is happening. Um, but it was really in the last couple of years that I began to recognize some of these, some of those broken off and younger parts of me that I needed to address and, and tend to and, and think through and process through and do some of the work around my own story to, to really reintegrate those parts of me. And, and it, it sounds a little bizarre, but to kind of become more acquainted with myself again mm. and become friends with myself, uh, even in some ways for the first time. Sure. So you're a counselor and yep. you also lead other men into a lot of these experiences. Was that hard to pull out of the trying to counsel yourself or what you would say to yourself uh, in the moment? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I think all of us are like that, right, Alan? Like Ugh, I, I, I don't take my own advice. I don't, <laughs> I don't listen. To my, I can say that to you, tell you what you need to be thinking about and considering, but not for myself. Uh, and it was actually several other people that helped speak into that for me. I think we all need to have other people doing some of that question, you know, asking those questions and creating that space. But the big thing uh, that I think is important is that no one can do this work for you. You actually are the only one that can, can do this work. Uh, other people can help you. Other people can guide you. But you are the one that needs to do this work. And when I finally realized that, I was like, okay. I found another gear to kind of, you know, downshift into and, and to get into some of those places for myself, for sure. 
Mm, that's good. And if you're listening to this and you're in any caregiving profession that maybe involves coaching, we have a lot of coaches that follow the podcast here and we coach yep. a lot of coaches. Uh, it's challenging because it's almost 3D that you're, as you're asking someone a question, you're wondering, what would I say to that? And what's interesting, Chris, is I've walked um, many, at least several men through this and said, do you think there's some kind of second half of life shift going on behind this? Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps is it bigger than that? Those are questions that I know to ask as they were asked to me. Yes. And so I would imagine that this gets more generative um, as you've wrestled with it further. You have greater language to lead other people through their own story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things I often say is, uh, and it, you know, it's a quote in the counseling world is that you can only take someone else as far as you yourself have gone. And so uh, that I think is really true, especially in this, that uh, we can ask those questions, but they're kind of empty questions unless we ourselves, and I don't want to say empty questions, like they're not valuable, but the, the, the weight of them is so much more when we can say, I've been to these places, I've explored this territory of my heart, and I know the gravity of the question that I'm asking you right now to consider. Hmm. Let's dive into this mythical word, sage. How do you describe yeah. a sage? What has to be true for someone to be a sage? Well, uh, you know, so the word sage actually uh, is, is an older English word, and it does mean that elder um, it does mean that uh, someone who has uh, both some level of age and maturity and wisdom, the one of the words in the in the Bible for it is uh, is actually someone who has a gray beard. <laughs> and so there's something about this this older person that has some level of maturity. But I'm really clear as I talk about this in the book that not every older person is a sage, that you can either become an elder or just elderly. And uh, I wanted to become that elder. So I mentioned a couple of characteristics of a sage so far, even in our conversation, but, you know, some of them are that there is a level of contentedness that happens. There's a level of settled contentedness I talk about where, I am, I am content with what is happening outside of me, inside of me. I'm no longer feeling that kind of scrappiness, panic. Um, I need to make things happen. If I don't make it happen, nothing's going to happen. Those kinds of things I can settle into myself. And, uh, and, and I've been with men who are like that, who have that settled contentedness um, to them. There's, uh, I, I also mentioned kind of moving from loneliness to solitude that this idea of, of uh, I am so lonely versus a solitude, which is I, I am I am friends with myself and I can be in my own company and enjoy it. And that's not an extrovert introvert kind of a thing. It's a, it's a sense of like, I am well with who I am and I can enjoy who I am uh, as well. So there's that, there's a generosity of spirituality that that you can be where you are and I can be where I am and I don't need to fix you and I don't need to convince you, but I can invite you to consider some things, but you can still be where you are. And we live into this uh, kind of both and world versus an either or world, um, a place of suffering, you know, a sage knows, uh, knows the, the territory of suffering and rather than denying the suffering or raging at the suffering has engaged the suffering and kind of has become well familiar with areas of, of pain and grief uh, and hasn't stayed there. 
but has entered there and has gone to that dark cave, spent significant time there, and has found a way back out to the light. Uh, so I feel like maybe you can start to feel the sense of just this uh, ever-increasingness of what happens on the inside of a sage. So uh, that those are just some beginning ways of how I talk about sage. Is this, is this journey similar for women? I think so. I think there are some significant uh, similarities, but also some significant differences. So when it's I was just talking with a colleague of mine about this, and uh, she was saying, you know, in a man's life, uh, men don't have the kind of physical mile markers that women do in, in the journey through life with their first period, with either having or not having children and how that marks them in, in their life. And then even later with menopause, like there is a, there is a physicality and embodiment of a woman's journey through these seasons. I think characterologically, there are some things that are very, very similar, but I think experientially it is it is different. And, I, and because of that, because us men don't have those physical markers, we need to create some of those rites, create some of those rituals in order for us to kind of know when we've th- stepped through the threshold. Mm, that's beautiful. I've been part of Restoration Project and got new experience. Uh, how you lead men to lead their uh, sons and daughters um, through the, <coughs> excuse me, through these rites of passage. Talk a little bit about that. How is this sage phase connected with how you're helping uh, men lead their sons and daughters through these rites of passage? Yeah. Well, especially, I'm going to keep it in the in the realm of of boys and men first. Uh, so the the task I think of the first rite of passage for for a boy, a man, is for the father to find the man within the boy and call him out, create some kind of passage process to call out the man that is already existent within the boy and create a space for that man to emerge and exist. Likewise, as I just said, there is uh, the second passage is to find the boy then within the man and bring him home. So there is this kind of duality between these two rites of passages, if you will, and uh, neither one of them are really known or celebrated too much in our you know modern 21st century American culture. Uh, but I think is we we need to attend to them because they're important for us as as a father. I think it's important to be present for our son and our daughter in similar and different ways, as I mentioned just before, but uh, to to do his own work as a man in order to do the work with his son or his daughter. The, The most important thing we can do as a parent and especially as a father is to be a healthy man. That's our greatest gift that we can give to our children, not what form of discipline or what curfew we set or what, you know, those kinds of things. It is, I want to offer my children a healthy man as a father. And if we can do that work in and of ourselves, then most of the other things I think don't just kind of come easily, but they come more easily with, with our kids. Mm. And obviously we've seen the, the flip side of that, where one of the most toxic things we can do is offer uh, a toxic man, uh, to yes. this world, to our society, to our families, to our organizations. And we don't need to belabor that point here on this podcast. We talk a lot about that. Yeah. Um, Chris, we could talk for hours, perhaps we will around a campfire at some point. Um, last question though, what would you love to hear 
a man say? They write you an email, they're in tears. What would you love for them to say about this book that you've labored over in this little, <laughs> cold, desperate <laughs> village uh, that you were banished to as you wrote this? Yes. Well, I, I'm glad that you asked that. Actually, it's it has been emails that I have already gotten. Uh, and it is where there are men saying, um, thank you for putting language to the tempest within my soul and for giving me a roadmap and a pathway of how to navigate it and move forward. Finally, I am recognizing that the best season of my life is yet ahead. And even though I am 50 or 60, uh, that, that there's still more for me than what I've done already so far. I can be the more the man that I ever was designed to be now than ever before. Beautiful. May it be so. Chris, great chatting with you. Thanks again for investing into this message. Sage, uh, you're going to hear more about these kind of second half of life topics here. We got a couple more of these coming uh, and is a significant topic for many men. So thanks, Chris, for what you do. Absolutely. Thanks, Alan. Great to be with you today. Shot, shot. We focus so long.